This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Returning to Eden is a book by Heather Hamilton for people who resonate with aspects of Christianity but struggle with the coherence of its claims. After having a mystical experience that shattered her evangelical beliefs, Heather Hamilton found herself on the journey that every true spiritual seeker ultimately takes. The highest truths that set us free are hidden in places that most people are not looking. Returning to Eden re-examines the Bible stories of childhood and opens them up as symbolic maps into the inner world. Stories like Jonah and the Whale, the parting of the Red Sea, Noah's Ark, and the Virgin Birth are illuminated with penetrating depth and intellectual integrity. Faith is no longer a white-knuckled grip on implausible beliefs, but a relaxation into a deep inner knowing. You can purchase Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton at Amazon.com or at ReturningToEden.com. Hello, good people of the podcast world. How are you? Good to be here with you. Welcome back to another episode. This is a Friday episode. I like getting out episodes more than once a week now. I'm kind of in the flow. And I had this conversation with Kayla. She's the founder, or I should say co-founder of the Reclamation Collective. And I said, oh, this is actually perfect because she is starting up or the organization is starting up some cohorts. So I said, well, let's do a conversation. We'll have it this week and I'll put it out on Friday. So here we are. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, friends, but the Reclamation Collective is actually uh, an affiliate of ours in the sense of they are the mental health resource that we recommend to people when they're looking for ways to maybe find healing from religious trauma, etc. And this conversation is really great. We talk a lot about the work that they do. What I love about the Reclamation Collective is that they hold space no matter which direction you end up going in with your faith. And that's important because sometimes I feel like there are places out there that are kind of like, all religion is bad, it's all abusive, leave it all behind. Then there are other places that are like, if you deconstruct too far, you're not a real Christian, or if you leave the Christian faith, you're not really a good person anymore. And what I like about the Reclamation Collective is that they go, well, how about you decide that? How about we give you the tools to help you decide what is best for you? And also, they are very passionate about doing things in groups. So these cohorts that they do happen in a group setting with a trained professional. It's really awesome. I'll let Kayla explain it, but I recommend going to their website, reclamationcollective.com, and seeing how you can be a part of it if this sounds like it's up your alley. I understand for folks, especially when you're new to that initial deconstruction or disentanglement of faith, whatever you want to call it, I know how anxiety-inducing it can be. I went through it myself. I know the fear. I know the thoughts. I know the loops that you can get stuck in, and having people to help you navigate that, I just think it's really important. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And friends, I want to give you an update. Wow. I did a podcast episode on Tuesday explaining Project Amplify and the direction of TNE, which by the way, this absolutely affects the podcast. The goal is to do more podcasts, do on a uh, more organized level, have more conversations, really get conversations I want to have more uh, into your ears and others uh, as we go along. So it's really a massive evolution of all of our content. And on Tuesday for Giving Tuesday, we raised 
$15,000, which is a huge start. That is 10% to our goal of raising $150,000 by the end of this year. By the way, friends, I don't know if you follow us on Instagram. So sometimes I feel like I say the same thing over and over again, but you might not actually know this. As a nonprofit organization, TNE is committed to complete financial transparency. You can literally go to our website right now, click on the Where the Money Goes tab, and you see literally a screenshot of our profit and loss statement that I get from my accountant, and I post it right on the website so you can see where all the money goes. I know for some of us, the idea of an organization raising $150,000 can make us feel like mega church vibes. I totally get that, but to be very clear, we are a nonprofit organization. We're not a church. I am not a pastor. We operate first in the digital space. We are a digital first organization. We have no building, no weekly meetings, nothing like that. The money we're trying to raise is to is to is going towards amplifying so many of the voices that you've heard on this podcast and getting their voices and their wisdom out there in the social media world. And so we're trying to build the structure and strategies and infrastructure to support those types of creators and say, listen, so-and-so, you wrote a great book on Christian nationalism. I love it. Your Instagram channel sucks. Let's just be honest. You're getting no traction. Why don't you come into our studio, we'll shoot a video, and let's get something out there so you get in front of more eyeballs to push things forward. That's that's the whole vibe. And yes, it will include an expansion of my own content and what I'm doing. So it's not like we're erasing the podcast or me being a host of things. I just become another voice, hopefully among a choir of amazing voices pushing things forward. So that's kind of the vibe. Again, you can go to our website. If you want to donate, click on the link in our show notes. We need your help. We raised $15,000 with only 100 donations. So imagine what we can do if we all chip in a little bit here, a little bit there. We can absolutely raise this money. It's going towards a great cause. It's going to staff. It's going to infrastructure, et cetera. Any questions, you can always shoot me a message. So, all right, friends. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please feel free to share it. Oh, one more important thing, ads. Let's talk about ads on the podcast. I would imagine that for many of you, you hate hearing ads. I get that because I hate hearing ads. I do. I hate it. However, ads have become a really steady source of revenue for us on the podcast, and that helps make this work possible. It helps cover overhead costs. It helps just cover costs that we need. I am working on figuring out an ad-free version for like a very low monthly cost. Like for five bucks a month, you get all the podcasts ad-free to give you, the listener, more options. Maybe you are like, hey, for five bucks a month, I'd rather just support Teeny directly and not hear any of these stupid ads. Or maybe you're like, five bucks a month, I'd rather hear ads. Either way, I am working on what that looks like. There are some changes coming on the podcast probably uh, early next year. So there's a lot of things in flux. So thank you for your patience when it comes to hearing ads that maybe you hate to hear, but we are working on different options for you. I mean, frankly, friends, if we charged five bucks a month and a thousand of you uh, one for that option, that's $5,000 a month for us that really helps make this podcast better, makes it a little more organized, brings on better guests, helps us get a little more editing done, et cetera. And also would hopefully get this more on the YouTubes and on the social medias. Because sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, this section of the podcast is so good. I just don't have the time or expertise to actually edit it down and make it social media friendly. So, all right, I'm ranting now. Thank you for listening as always. Super grateful for all of you. Here's my interview with Kayla. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Hey there, I am Susan and I live in Southern Illinois. I have been a TNE donor two different times now. One of the things that's most important to me is that Tim and the board are fully committed to transparency and honesty. 
They don't want donors to feel as if though we are being coerced, as often happens within church environments. I am grateful for Tim and all that he has accomplished. I look forward to the future and believe that fundraising is a necessary aspect for growth to allow TNE to provide these resources where they are needed most. All right, friends, this will be a fun kind of more, I don't know, it's a special episode, I feel like, because usually when I have a guest on the podcast, it's someone that maybe wrote a book or is doing something somewhere and we're not usually like super connected or affiliated. But in this case, you know, it's cool to have someone on the podcast whose organization we actually partner with on our website. So Kayla from the Reclamation Collective, it's great to have you. Thank you for making time. Absolutely. Hey, Tim. Nice to see you again. (laughs) Thank you. It's nice to see you as well. I don't know our audience on podcasts. I'm not sure how tuned in they are to our Instagram content or even our website. So why don't you introduce yourself, kind of your background and the organization that you started? Sounds good. Well, my name is Kayla. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a therapist uh, coming from Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, although I currently and now live in uh, Playa del Carmen, Mexico. So that's a nice little upgrade that I've navigated recently in my life. Um, And I am one of the co-founders of the Reclamation Collective, which is a nonprofit organization, and we seek to hold space for survivors of religious trauma and or spiritual abuse. And so our primary offering that we have throughout the year is we have virtual support groups. So folks who have access to the internet and to a Zoom room hopefully have access to attending one of our support groups. And that's kind of to hopefully offer a corrective experience, a therapeutic exposure to what is possible when people are able to hold kind of a community-based ritual, a community-based practice for healing, in talking about naming their own trauma narrative, adding language to how you talk about your um, spiritual abuse narrative or your religious trauma experience. And um, again, I, I say it's, my hope is that it's a therapeutic exposure to what is possible because for many of us coming from more fundamentalist or otherwise like evangelical cultures, um, our previous frameworks for that probably is like a small group of Bible study, um, maybe in a place where people had access to us in a spiritually abusive indoctrination kind of a way. Um, so it's really important to us that we're holding this space where people have um, access to select their boundaries with and proximity to the space um, and really hopefully reclaim a sense of autonomy and sovereignty over self. Yeah, I love that. Give me some of your backstory. I don't know if I even know a whole lot. Did you grow up in like a religious or a fundamentalist context? I mean, what led you to becoming a therapist, et cetera? I would love to know kind of that journey. Yeah. Well, I did grow up in a fundamentalist evangelical culture called the Plymouth Brethren. I grew up oh, in... Oh, that's right. We've talked about this yeah. before. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You are one of yeah. a few people who know what I'm talking about when I share that. Not many people have heard of the Plymouth Brethren. John um, Nelson, but... Darby, or Bus, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Both of my parents were also born and raised in the Plymouth Brethren. Um, my mom on the East wow. Coast and my father also in Chicago where I grew up. And so... Um, yeah, I, I come from like generations of proximity to this culture. Um, 
And <laughs> when I was 18 and graduating from high school, I um, knew I wanted to be a social worker and it was important to my parents that I attend a Christian school so I could still become a social worker in a way that honored my family values. I have to put that in quotations here. So um, future Kayla slash actually I'm not going to pay off my student loans, but um, future <laughs> Kayla slash my parents invested a lot of money in me still becoming who I am and always have been. Mm. So um, I went to Bethel University. That is another extension of my religious trauma narrative. Um, although I will say those years were pretty conducive to me recognizing that I was raised in maybe a particularly fundamentalist culture. That was kind of the first space where I recognized, like, I didn't even grow up within, like, mainstream Christian culture. Like, yeah, we right, were particularly... Right patriarchal, particularly um, homophobic, Islamophobic. Um, so I, I will still say, I do think that time of my life was the beginning of a deconstruction journey. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, my mid twenties, I would say that I was able to recognize like, this is not my faith or religious identity. Um, but I really wanted to, of course, maintain this connection to my culture of origin. Um, there was a number of disappointments just awaiting uh, my parents at various holiday dinner tables. Um, there was a number of times that I had to share, disclose, come out of various closets. But I always knew that not being a Christian was going to be the hardest one for my parents and other people from my culture of origin to to know how to to handle and to be able to hold any form of kind of respect for my intellect and for my ongoing spirituality. Um, I don't identify as a person of faith at this time, but I do identify as spiritually lit. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I love that. Uh, hey, really quick, pause in the conversation. Do you have uh -huh. any other tabs open on your computer or anything else that could be taking away Wi-Fi bandwidth? Let me check. Because you're dropping um, on my end pretty quick. Am I? Let me yep. see, too, if I can maybe move spaces in my apartment. Um, okay. I don't have any other tabs open on here, but... Okay. That's all right. We'll make it Give work me one second. Let me see if I can get us a better location. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I won't be able to move spaces in my apartment because my partner is also in a no meeting problem. right now and out there. Um, That's fine. Let's see. Um, yeah, but we'll just keep an eye on it. I mean, the, it is going to upload at some point to get everything. I mean, it's recording in HD, so I'll get a hard copy of it. But I want to make sure that um, um, it's like usable for the actual recording, so, which it should be. So. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to do it for my bedroom. Hmm. I think this might be a little bit closer to the router. Let's see if this is any better. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, sometimes this program when the signal isn't great, it will just do wacky things. Like right now, your video cut out. Again, it's recording video, but I just can't see you to save bandwidth. So I'm just okay. noticing you're uploaded as only about 26%. And that usually gives me indication that, you know, something is amok. Hmm. hmm. Let me see here. 
Mm, I'm not a fan. Still dropping. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's continue for now. Okay, you're going back up a little bit. I think we should be all right. So where you're, where, where you're at might, might be better. Okay. Um, we'll keep moving. If things get real bad, I can switch over to Zoom, and then I can just paste these pieces together. It's not a big deal. So okay. um, we'll just go from there. Cool? Yeah. Cool. <sighs> all right. Okay. So let's get back into it. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to uh have come out of places you know that are as maybe off the the beaten path of mainstream evangelicalism although maybe not always like like the plymouth brethren or something like that but a lot of the same ingredients there i am kind of curious for you i mean what were some of the steps that you had to find yourself taking to come out of the other the other side of all of that like we can call it deconstruction or something but just what was that process like for you of realizing oh my gosh how i grew up was kind of unique putting it lightly but also pr pretty problematic yeah. my family's tied into this how do i navigate that and then also how do i reclaim that sense of self that you were talking about earlier what was that journey like for you well when i was an undergrad i had the opportunity to study abroad in guatemala so i was 19 years old mm. and i would say that semester not quite four months living in guatemala was really helpful in that was also the season of my life where I received a comprehensive concept of colonization. Um, mm. And I was able to recognize that a lot of the, the ministry mindset, the emphasis on missions uh, was really quite colonizing and informed by, you know, a white savior complex, but also informed by a Christian supremacist narrative, mm. you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's, was certainly the beginning of the end of me having any proximity to the Plymouth Brethren during that yeah. time, I think is when I recognized like, this is not for me or anyone with a vagina for that matter. Mm. And I returned from that study abroad semester, knowing that the Brethren was not for me, but really wanting to still have some connection to Christianity. So I started attending a vineyard church actually. So the last six, seven years of my proximity to Christianity was um, in that vineyard context, which I've held space for a number of people who've shared kind of a similar trajectory of coming from a more fundamentalist culture where there was zero emphasis on, um, you know, a lot of the spiritual gifts that we think of as being more charismatic. But at yeah. the time, I thought of as being more, you know, honoring of my spiritual gifts, of my intuition, of my capacity to commune with spirit. Um, and so that was part of what I think drew me to being connected to that vineyard church for that time. And then I always kind of share, I, I think I overstayed kind of the time that it was I think I tried so hard to keep that connection to my Christian culture uh, that I stayed for easily 18 months longer than I, I wish I had. It was the sure. last year and a half that I recognized and took inventory of like, I'm literally smoking up, you know, weed in my car before I go in. I'm bringing alcohol in my coffee cup, like to church. And um, by that point, I'll be honest, I had already had some very spiritually activating experiences with medicine, with um, sacred mushrooms. And so I think just recognizing that me being, um, me choosing to be in this proximity to substance, to alcohol, to 
to um, cannabis, which I still advocate for it as a medicine, but knowing that that was the mindset I had to go in in order to, in order to, to go, to force myself to be there. I was like, this is not a spiritually activating experience. If I am having Mm -hmm. to do this much work to try to dissociate before even entering this church. Um, So I was able to recognize that like, this is not a spiritually activating experience for me. Um, And by that point, like I said, I had had some experiences that I do believe were really spiritually activating and really connecting me to to my own sacredness and recognizing the sacredness in other people too across time, Mm. across the globe. People who I never have met, never will meet, we're not walking paths on the same planet at the same time, but just right. this overwhelming sense of connection to humanity. Mm. Um, so how did the Reclamation Collective begin then? I mean, what, what was the story? What, what, what finally pushed you over the edge to say, you know what, we're going to start, I'm going to co-found uh, a nonprofit helping people navigate this work. Oh, well, it started actually as a retreat. So one of my dear friends, Lizzie, and I, uh, we had been meeting for some meditation nights for a few months and recognizing that every single night, at least for her and I and a few of the other folks in that space, all also coming from evangelical or otherwise fundamentalist Christian cultures, um, that was kind of the theme of the conversation. It always came back to kind of our religious trauma. So Lizzie and I decided to have a retreat. And at that point, it was just an invite only. We shared it on our social media. We had probably about a dozen people say, yeah, I would love to hold that space. And so we had such a beautiful weekend together. We had rented an Airbnb. um, And because we got such overwhelmingly positive feedback and we ourselves felt like, wow, this is the hot, the best sense of kind of like community and resonance and feeling seen and understood and validated. I was like, we got to, we got to take this somewhere. We got to keep moving with this. And um, at that point I had already been, you know, a clinical social worker for a number of years. And so I, I was able to, within that year, get connected with Kendra Snyder, who's the other co-founder of the collective. And she has been specializing her therapeutic practice around religious trauma and existential trauma for a long time. So that was a very serendipitous, aligned, you know, however you want to see that connection. And I just said, I would like to see this go in a direction. Um, And and we can, not necessarily a clinical direction, because We're in fact not offering clinical interventions at the Reclamation Collective, but wanting to make sure that there was an emphasis on access to therapeutic space. And so from there, we started offering some drop-in in-person support groups in Minnesota. And then as soon as COVID actually came upon us is when we really started obviously transitioning everything to virtual support groups, which frankly, has meant expanded access for all. I mean, regardless of COVID or not, I think that was our best way to be able to be accessible. Um, and I'm especially thinking of people who live in communities where um, it maybe it's a more rural community. Maybe your dad is a very prominent pastor in that realms. Um, and so having a virtual support group can offer a certain amount of anonymity that hopefully casts protections and safety over a lot of people who might not otherwise be able to find something in their geographical community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, break down. You mentioned that 
you said something to the effect of like we don't do clinical i think intervention or something like that so like how do you define like 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 what you do what you're qualified to do versus like where where the boundaries and lines are of the collective you know that's obviously a very important um point and i think because a lot of people we've experienced you know oh yeah the pastor will just counsel you right or oh yeah like uh, this is a a life coach who will give you the advice that you need it's like well that's not therapy right (laughs) and so uh, let's help the audience understand like for you and for the organization where you're like hey this is what we do really well and what what we're qualified to do then these are boundaries that for us like we're just on the staff or the support network to offer so we push people into different directions What, what are some of those boundaries Yeah. So while we are a collective of clinicians, and in fact, all of our support groups are facilitated by a licensed mental health professional, we also come to this from a little bit of an anarchist perspective, kind of. Number one, that uh, clinical interventions, including therapy, are not accessible to all, and in fact, are not safe for everyone either. And so I'm not one of the fundamentalist therapists who believes that therapy is for everyone. It's straight up not. Um, And even if it could be a resource to, to many, it is not accessible to to most people, um, mm. especially without health insurance and how many therapists accept insurance, you know, fewer and fewer. Um, and right. I, I hold a lot of compassion, understanding for why that is. These are a lot of industries and I'm going to emphasize that yeah. these are a lot of industries playing in together um, and unfortunately capitalizing on people's uh, trauma on people's mental health cycles. And so um, by no means are we against therapy. In fact, one of our longest standing and free resources for people is our religious trauma-informed clinician directory. So people can find someone who is licensed in the state where they reside. Um, That being said, we are really looking to curate non-clinical interventions such as support groups, such as workshops. I would love to see what is possible for more kind of events. I'm thinking parties. We've done some retreats. So these types of things that people People can be connected to community, again, have a therapeutic exposure, you know, a corrective experience to what is possible when most of our experiences of community-based rituals or gatherings still has this understanding that we all agree on this thing. We all believe, we all hold the same values. And that is, first of all, that was always fake news, as you can see from all the abundance of tensions and conflicts that have existed in every single community we come from. But also, um, how do we be intentional about honoring and celebrating the spectrum of perspective, the the diversity of, of expressions of one's humanity, whether that is their spirituality, whether that's just their identity, their personalities. We don't invite people here to try to teach them all how to act so we can all get along. Um, We honor that not everyone's going to see eye to eye. And that's also part of why in our support groups, we always name we're not here to give unsolicited, unwarranted advice, hot takes on other people's journey. Um, Yeah. 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 That's really helpful. I think, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why we, um, a have you as a as like a, an organization that we work with on our website was a because of that directory right people were asking me hey we need people we can talk to and you had that so it's okay that's great but also I like that the work that you all do is that you do hold space really well for people and you make room for folks and you're not trying to convert or deconvert 
people's spirituality, right? Like there are people that, as you know, I've met um, and they're like, hey, I don't want to lose my faith. And I'm like, that's great. In fact, our organization really helps people who don't want to lose their faith. But there are some people who are like, hey, you know what? I got above ground from fundamentalism and I ran straight out the front door. Um, and it's like, hey, honestly, I cheer people on in those in those journeys. It's like I understand it. I get it. I know our organization isn't aimed in that direction, but we can certainly high five you along the way. But the work that you all do is like you could, you hold space for both really well. And I feel like what you are designed to do and what one of your focuses is giving people the tools to determine for themselves. Do I stay in that house of Christian thought? Do I find a different room? Do I go? Do I, I walk out the front door and explore other houses on the block? And it's not my call to tell you where to go, but here's some tools to kind of help you decide. Is that a fair way of, of, of saying it? Yes. And I would also say um, I, I'm glad that that is also what other people are reading or sensing from our organization, because when we were first kind of launching, I was doing a little needs assessment, taking a little inventory of what already exists for survivors. And I'll be honest, I even then wasn't identifying as a person of faith, but I also was underwhelmed by the lack of mm -hmm. resources and um, people advocating for survivors of religious trauma who also hold an intersection of faith, identity, practice, community. Um, and so that's another piece is that I also say at the beginning of each support group, um, whether you're navigating a wave of anger, bitterness, or resentment towards your faith, yeah. culture, leader, community of origin, or seeking to reclaim within a faith, identity, practice, ritual, etc., like you are welcome and wanted here. Um, mm -hmm. And and that's a piece, too, that we're creating something altogether new. And yeah. so kind of to go back to that nonprofit piece too, of how we decided to become a nonprofit, there's another anarchist kind of element to this here is that we went back and forth for two years, Kendra and I, on whether or not we wanted to be a nonprofit. Uh, obviously there's a lot of pros and cons to all the abundance of ways to try to start sure. a business. I'm going to put that in quotes yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> right. Right. A number, uh, but ultimately, um, we want to create something altogether new that challenges the nonprofit industrial complex, knowing that a lot of people, too, that we have always been holding space for are coming from very financially exploitative communities, yes. again, industries, yes. you know, congregations, institutions. Mm -hmm. And so we also knew that setting ourselves up as a nonprofit requires a level of transparency that the people deserve and also yeah. sets us up to be able to um, accept and seek donations, people who want to invest in survivors in a way that if we didn't take that path, uh, there would have been more uh, limitations to being able to accept donations. I I mean, we, we probably hopped on a call, I think it was two summers ago. And for the first time, uh, you, me, and uh, and Kendra, and, and we spoke, and, and one of the things that we aligned really strongly on was our commitment to just being as ethical as possible financially and transparent because, to your point, a lot of people, and I think I, I can say I'm one of them, have experienced a lot of giving exploitation or giving trauma uh, in their religious experience, you know, and, and so... I get how people, when they hear an organization that is in the faith space, right, saying, hey, do you want to donate? I totally get why that can trigger, right, or activate feelings of like, oh, my God, this is it. You know, this is this is what it's all about. They just need they want money. And 
um, when we talked, I think we both were like, yeah, we, we, we are very transparent with where the money goes. I'm like, me too. Like, that's a huge core of what we do because we don't want people thinking that like behind the scenes, you know, we're either hoarding it or it's going towards things that aren't benefiting the community or making our work more accessible. And that was one of the moments for me where I was like, yes, like we're so aligned. And again, that's honestly why we decided to work with you guys is because we felt like you were also committed to the integrity piece and to, I think another thing that stuck out to me was, and I think that you understand this a lot, we can become fundamentalists all over again. Like fundamentalism yeah. is not exclusive to Christianity. I mean, that that can manifest itself anywhere. And <laughs> and I feel like, and I, well, and I feel like I understand why why there are people out there whose approach is like, if you're still in the Christian world, it's inherently problematic, it's bad, what are you doing, get out. I totally get it. Usually their experience is, <clears throat> is incredibly harmful, it's incredibly bad, and they've seen the complete underbelly of that. It's a fair point, right? But if we can't learn to hold space for each other and recognize that there are people who are Christians who actually do a lot of great work in the world, motivated by their faith, and it's not all just as one or the other, I think that's how we move forward. And I appreciate that, that you are open to saying, Yes, like we're not here to tell you that you have to leave or stay, but we know that that you've been harmed. We get that. And so depending on what you want to do, here are some tools and ways to think about this stuff as you as you go forward. And I just think that's really important for how we carve new spaces, right, is is being that more open handed approach than becoming a different kind of close fist. A hundred percent. And I honestly think that's one of the biggest kind of myths that we tell ourselves is those of us who have had a deconversion experience, meaning we've like deconverted from a previous faith identity, distance ourselves perhaps from that community, um, sure. that there can be this, this idea that like I'm safe now. You know, um, that was the, on, the one and only place, container, context, where that kind of high power and control yes. or indoctrination yes. or fundamentalism, that flavor of fundamentalism can happen. And, and I would just say that's fake news also. I think that actually mm -hmm. those of us coming out of high power and control um, whether it's religion or otherwise culture, right? I think that when we leave a space, if we haven't really deconstructed what was the power dynamics, what were the, you know, the values, the narratives informing our realities and our codependent proximity to this congregation, identity, et cetera, um, I think we are at risk of finding ourselves in that same fundamentalist ideology. Um, and when I ever... I speak about like, what does fundamentalism look like? What is it? I say fundamentalism is this idea that you possess absolute truth. It's fundamentally true and you possess it. The supremacy part comes in. We got to talk about that part, but the supremacy part comes in when you believe that that fundamental truth should reign supreme over all, regardless of whether or not they have the same perspective experience. Um, and so I think that fundamentalism can show up with any ideology. And I ask, have you ever met a fundamentalist yogi? Have you ever met a fundamentalist vegan or a fundamentalist atheist? Um, and mm -hmm. I have met all of those, you know, I've also dabbled with yes. all three of those communities. And yes. so that's no hate by any right. means on people who have found right. something that works for their bodies, for their wellness, for their conscious expansion, beautiful. But mm -hmm. to say that this is for everyone and if people yeah. don't want to engage with that, then they're not ready to heal or they're not yeah. enlightened enough. Um, that's still it's it's just a 
swinging that pendulum from fundamentalist religion to fundamentalist something else. Whether you're a donor, a doer, or a dedicated to learning more about research for moms, babies, and their families, from March of Dimes, it's Modcast, where you'll learn new ideas, find ways to get involved, or just be amazed. Move this one to the top of your playlist each and every month and join the conversation with the best and brightest in the field. Listen to Modcast, Marja Dimes Research Podcast, today. I'm not sure if you've seen on uh, Netflix yet the Escaping Twin Flames docuseries. Um, I it's one it. of these. Oh boy, I binged it. I couldn't stop. But as I was watching it, I'm like, you know, this is a good example, right? That people can use more new age language or have the idea of like, you know, pulling tarot cards and stuff and still end up being in a cult. Like it's possible. Now, is it likely? I would say no, it's not likely. Okay. I don't think that pulling tarot or engaging in whatever practices that you do are going to lead you down to, you know, giving all your money to these two people, one of which eventually claims to become Jesus Christ incarnate, right? Um, for sure. But the point I was thinking about was, oh, look, purity culture elements are here, too, as they're trying to tell people how to eat. And, you know, uh, at some point, I'm not sure how far you are, but it gets real weird with like the divine masculine, divine feminine. And they start telling people which one they are. And at some point, forcing people to to uh, to transition to become like essentially transgender because their divine masculine and their genitalia don't match up. And I'm like, oh my God. So again, these elements can become harmful. It's not so much about about like the the ingredients, more about how they're being used and for what outcome, right? And so I think that was another reminder of like, yeah, again, I understand in America especially Christian fundamentalism is one of the most powerful groups uh, when it comes to how they lobby, the political affiliations, the money behind it. I totally understand that. So I'm not trying to say that, you know, um, twin flames or whoever they are is 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 as wide and as dangerous for all people as like Christian nationalism is. I get that. But I love what you said that just because you escape a high religious, uh, a high control environment that's Christian doesn't mean the next group you find that isn't that is automatically going to be inherently safe or welcoming or accepting. You have to have those filters no matter where you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, think to have good. that, have that space, uh, we all deserve to have that space to be able to learn and unlearn to deconstruct and, and to recognize that if I'm not deconstructing the fundamentalist thinking patterns and relational cycles that I've been in my entire life, I am still going to embody some of these fundamentalist and I would say inherently supremacist beliefs, even though I don't identify with this religion any longer to recognize I was still socialized and indoctrinated into these thinking patterns, into these ways of relating to other people. And so I, I think that's another piece where people who have deconverted may still have a long way of deconstructing before you're going to be able to show up in um, in fresh and I would even argue safe ways with community yeah. that is different from you. <laughs> yeah, you know? I love that. So talk to me about like these upcoming groups. What do you have going on for the winter? You know, if people are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, this resonates with me, I want in. You know, what are you guys offering? How does it work? Is there a cost behind it? Give us kind of the breakdown. Yeah, so we actually have six different support groups that are um, on our playlist for the winter. So all of our support groups are starting in January. They'll be running January through March. So each support group season is 10 weeks long. That means um, it's 10 different, you know, 
weeks and each session is two hours. And so all 10 of those weeks have a specific theme that we have discussion questions to explore. And so um, this upcoming season, we have four different deconstruction support groups to offer. Um, we have one, which is our deconstruction for all genders. That is our widest net cast of invitation. Anybody who would like to hold space to honor their deconstruction and reclamation journey. Again, I want to repeat, this is not exclusive to people coming from Christian cultures. Um, this is anyone coming from either a fundamentalist religion, a religion, I should say, or coming from a high power and control community. Um, mm. So, uh, and actually this upcoming season, we have our first facilitator who is not coming from a Christian culture. Uh, we have a facilitator who's actually coming from a Muslim culture. So we are hopeful that that's gonna be helpful in expanding kind of who feels welcome and wanted and safe to, uh, to come in and be a part of these deconstruction support groups. So the deconstruction, all genders, everyone's invited. We also have a Queers Deconstructing Together support group. So that's specifically for folks who identify as queer, part of the LGBTQIA community. Um, we also have our BIPOC Deconstructing Together support group. And that's also gonna be, um, well, yeah, that's also our deconstruction support group for people who identify as black, indigenous, or people of color. Um, and then lastly, we have our therapists deconstructing together. We know that a lot of the referrals that we get our way are coming from therapists. And so we want to make sure that clinicians as well have a safe space to be engaged in this very personal, intimate work and process. Um, as someone who has been practicing as a therapist for many years while navigating my own deconstruction journey, um, there was never a week that I didn't experience a nervous system activation myself. And I don't think that's a bad mm. thing. I think that just added to kind of my self-awareness of, okay, I got to talk about that with, with Megan, with my therapist, you know, right. just recognizing right. how much of my story um, and, and of my clients' narratives I really resonated with. Um, I love that. Yeah. So those are the four wow. deconstruction support groups. We also okay. have two other ones. We have a spiritual abuse support group for women plus. Um, and when we say women plus, we're referring to marginalized genders. Um, but because, Tim, you and I both are coming from cultures where persecution complexes are abundant, I want to also make that even more clear who I'm inviting. The spiritual abuse support group for women plus, we invite women, we invite transgender, non-binary and gender expansive folks to hold that sacred space with us. Well, you know, as a white straight man, I feel incredibly, incredibly persecuted. There's no group for me. I mean, unbelievable. How am I? Where am I in this? I don't understand. You know, again, friends, an example of Christian persecution right here. We do have Obviously, a space I'm for you too, Tim. We have a space for you. It's a deconstruction support group for all. You are welcome and wanted in that space. I love that. I think it is so important that, and I appreciate that, that you all carve out those spaces for those people. Obviously, it's so, it's so key for so many reasons so that's really great and then as far as like you know as is there a cost to these things like is it a pay what you can like what's the model there you're a nonprofit. i get that and i know like me we try and keep things as accessible as possible but things cost money right we, we, we want to pay the contributors that we have or the people walking us through this stuff fairly etc so how does that work for folks who might be interested 
Yeah, so all of our support groups are offered at a pay-as-you-can rate. That is uh, $200 to $400 for the entire 10-week, 20-hour season. So it is a one-time payment that you make when you register for the support group. And I just want to also remind folks kind of part of our intention here is to create non-clinical interventions because 10 weeks, 20 hours of any type of a clinical intervention, even yeah. though the support groups are also facilitated by a licensed mental health professional, but any right. clinical intervention is going to be, you know, easily a hundred to $200 an hour. Right. And so we do have a lot of pride in the fact that this pay as you can model fleshes out to people paying between 10 and $20 per hour of access to this 20 hour support group season. Yeah. And you're with other people, which I love, you know, it's a way to connect with new friends, make, make, you know, new acquaintances as you're going along and and also feel seen. Right. I think one of the reasons why work that you do and work that we do is so uh, maybe effective for people is that they feel seen in the content that we're posting or the, the spaces that we carve out, right? They know that, that they're not alone as they're navigating this part of their life that maybe they can't talk to their friends about or to your example earlier, maybe their parents are a high profile you know, pastor and they would just be so embarrassed that they knew, right? That their kid was going to therapy. So I love that, that you are making a way for folks to be seen, also have someone who's licensed facilitating the conversation and navigating the questions and doing it at a rate that is incredibly affordable and accessible to a lot of people, which I just, I think that's really important. So I think it's just great work that you guys are doing over there. Thank you. And I also will say our hope is that in 2024 and beyond, we will be able to do more fundraising to have um, our supporting survivors scholarship fund abundant with opportunity to be able to give people because I want to honor 200 to 400 dollars also does not mean everyone has access to that. So that Totes. means that I our work is not done. So our we're really hopeful yeah. that we will be able to raise money for that supporting survivor scholarship fund so that when people say, I really feel like this would be a good place for me, um, finances yeah. are a barrier, we can go ahead and cover that cost for them. I love that. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, as someone who lives in New Jersey, you know, running a very small nonprofit, I'm like 200 bucks, that's a lot of tanks of gas while still acknowledging how affordable that is. I mean, what you're offering is a very affordable rate, right? Even if it's it's $200. So I, I love that you're looking into, you know, trying to maybe get people who are willing and able to donate to kind of give to scholarship funds. So friends, if that's you, by the way, I mean, if you're out there and you're like, hey, I want, I have some money. I want to support work like this. Please, you can go to their website, the Reclamation Reclamation Collective, and you can donate. And can you specify what what, what, what funds should be used for? Do you, do you Can people like give a note saying for scholarships, yeah. et cetera? Yes, people can say okay. we actually encourage you if you're wanting this to go specifically to our supporting scholarship, supporting survivor scholarship fund, please do note that. Um, and that way we will make sure that that goes into the pool of, of funds that we're able to access to give people scholarships, free access to our support groups. Great. I love that. Kayla, this was great. And I appreciate you making time all the way from Mexico to talk to me and yeah. kind of talk to the audience out there. Um, I'll make sure I put a link in our show notes. But friends, um, if you want to go now, you can go to reclamationcollective.com. If you're a member on our website, which by the way, is totally free to make an account, you'll see under uh, mental health resources, their website there. So you can click there to, to get part of this. And then when do signups close? Is it, is it up until January 2024? Or like how much time do people have to register? 
we have until December 23rd, which I think is a as a Thursday or a Friday. So December okay. 23rd, uh, so people have so about four weeks. Yep. Awesome. All right, my friend. Well, it was great talking to you. Thanks for making time. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Until next time. Absolutely.